The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Mark Zemptor, Managing Director of Remelius. Now, Remelius is uh, in a class of its own compared to uh, some of the podcasts that we've been doing, and by that I mean it's an $800 million market cap. Now, three or four years ago, you could have had as many as you wanted at uh, five or 10 cents, but now the stock is at $1.20, so it's gonna be fascinating to hear from Mark what uh, that pathway to this $800 million market cap and how hard he's working to get it to a, the magical billion. Now, before going on, I'll just uh, I'll say good day to Mark and welcome him to the podcast. Oh, hi, Barry. Thanks very much for the uh, invite today. All right, Mark, before jumping into the ins and outs of the company, I was just wondering, can we get a bit of a feel for where you hail from? Uh, I understand you're a Kalgoorlie boy originally. Yeah, Kalgoorlie born and bred. Um, the birth certificate actually says East Coolgardie. Uh, for those born around 1970, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But yeah, born in Kalgoorlie Regional Hospital, spent most of my life um, growing up and around Kalgoorlie. Right. Were your your folks involved in the mining industry? Um, not really. Um, my my dad worked at um, Auto Villa Toyota. He was a he was a mechanic, um, and then worked on you know, light vehicles and then some mining machinery. But um, me going into mining, I think, was natural being in Kalgoorlie, but it, it wasn't always going to um, turn out that way. At one stage, I nearly went into the Air Force as a, an electrical engineer, but realised the 10-year commitment to go to the Defence Force Academy in Canberra was probably not something I really wanted to do at the end of the day. Right. So you're, <laughs> you're a WA School of Mines mining engineer? Yeah, mining engineer. I was one of only three people, two mining engineers and one metallurgist who actually were from Kalgoorlie out of about 100 in first year. So you'd be, you'd think there'd be more based from Kalgoorlie, but um, yeah, me and a couple of mates um, started out in the late 80s and uh, got through in the four years <laughs> um, that you're supposed to get through in, which was great. And then Went straight down the road to um, Campbell and Nickel and good old WMC Resources. Okay. So you were there with WMC and you moved on to, was it Goldfields after that? Yeah, I, I didn't really move. Goldfields came in and, and basically bought the um, the gold assets. So I'd done 10 years at WMC out largely in Cambelda and then Goldfields come in and bought those um, gold assets, which means they I, I was part of the purchase, if you like, Barry. Right. Okay. And... Uh, you have any uh, overseas experience to talk of? Um, with Goldfields, sort of in the latter part, I did uh, 10 years at Goldfields after the 10 years at WMC. Um, the latter part of that meant that because of their international operations, I did do a little bit of time in Peru uh, with their assets over there and also Ghana. So I got a little bit of a taste of the international stuff with Goldfields, which was great. And then ended up in the Perth office uh, for Goldfields as a, as a VP or a, I suppose an acting VP for about four or five months. Um, didn't land the role on a permanent basis and then probably decided that 20 years in sort of big companies was time for to, to look at something smaller and, and see whether I could you know, move the dial, whereas in a bigger company, obviously, it's a, a lot harder to do that. Okay, then. Uh, now, 
at Romelius, the I think you've been there seven years now. Is that right, as managing director? I wasn't uh, originally managing director. I started off as chief operating officer mm-hmm. in early two thousand and twelve. Right, uh, a guy a guy that I'd worked with or had met um, when I was at Goldfields. He was actually doing a lot of the um, native title negotiations. A guy called Ian Gordon who. I'd met previously was my predecessor. He um, he gave me a call one day and, and said, "Look, uh, what do you think about coming and joining Romelius?" And at the time, he not long bought the Mount Magnet operation, which I was sort of aware of during my WMC days, but got on really well with Ian. So signed up um, for Romelius in at the same time that the mill at Mount Magnet was being refurbished. So it was an interesting time. Gold price was more like fourteen hundred Aussie. Mm-hmm. So it was 1400 1500 obviously not the peaks that we're seeing now, but it was, a, I thought, a good time to, to get into the company when we you know, were doing a restart at Mount Magnet. Right. I think most people remember that the company got its start with the high-grade uh, Wattle Dam, about 70 k's from Kalgoorlie. But nowadays, of course, it's very much about the, uh, let's call them two mining camps, Mount Magnet and Edna May. Um, of the two, Mount Magnet... Uh, is uh, the biggest at the moment, but uh, Edna May is coming up the rear with uh, some recent acquisitions. So can you just run us through where you're at at Mount Magnet and then Edna May? Yeah, you're right. Mount Magnet was purchased effectively with the, the money or the cash that Waddle Dam produced. Waddle Dam only produced 275,000 ounces in that region, but it put $100 million in the bank. So it was a very lucrative operation while it lasted. Uh, finished in 2013, unfortunately, but as I said, bankrolled Mount Magnet. Mount Magnet's gone from, it started off at about 60 to 80,000 ounces, and now with the addition of Vivian uh, just near Leinster, which we truck across to Mount Magnet, we produce sort of 120 uh, up to 140,000 ounces in a good year. So you're right, it's the, it's the lion's share of the 200,000 ounce total production from the company. But once Edna May has... The MARTA project, which is north of north of um, Southern Cross, uh, which we're just about ready to start operating there and trucking the ore down to Edna May. And then in about 12 months' time, we'll have the Tampia project, which was acquired through the, the takeover of Explorum, um, which was finalised earlier this year. Once both of those are into Edna May, which is really FY21, then the Edna May processing facility will actually outproduce Mount Magnet and we'll be looking to produce in total terms about 250, uh, probably more like 150 from Edna May and probably closer to 100 from Mount Magnet. So things will will turn around down the track. Mm. Now that would, uh, those sort of well, current production and uh, targeted production, that would put you in the top 10 of uh, domestic Australian gold producers, I, I would think. Yeah, I haven't checked that number. I used to have it on my previous presentations. I think it's number six or number seven um, when you talk about domestic only, uh, not insignificant production. We targeted a 300,000 ounce production range some time ago because for a long time the company was an 80 to 100,000 ounce producer and there's a whole lot of companies in that boat and it's it's really somewhere where um, if you stay there for too long, you'll either run out of ore or you'll get taken over or something will happen you need to what we decided to do was to actually grow Um, we think we need three assets to be at 300,000 if they're notionally 100,000 ounces per year capable each so we can get 250 out of our two assets but we're always on the lookout for that that third asset 
Um, but you don't control the timing of these things. That's that's one thing I do know. <laughs> the uh, one thing that's always intrigued me about the company is you're prepared to truck. I meant truck. Um, so I think it, the Explorum uh, deposit is, is, what is it, 130 or is it 300 k's? It's a long way anyway from Edna May Mill, is that right? Uh, the actual... Explorum's Tampia project is about 140 k's and it's one of the closer projects. Uh, Vivian to the north, which we truck into into Mount Magnet's more like 300 k's. And prior to that, Kathleen Valley, which is north of Leinster, we were hauling the ore 370 kilometres, which historically people um, would not probably haul ore more than 100 kilometres. But the two things to, to bear in mind with that is that it's high grade that we're tending to haul and we're using sealed bitumen roads, high quality roads with trucks that can carry 100 tonnes um, and sometimes up to 110 tonnes. So the actual cost of that haulage, you know, as compared to building a mill, for example, yeah. for deposits that generally, to, to be realistic, aren't large enough to support a new plant, I think that you'd call them stranded assets. As a result, I think our model works really well for those types of assets. Yeah, uh- Tampia Hill, uh, the Explorum deposit you've acquired, uh, I think there was uh, uh, that came through loud and clear in uh, your update. I think the CapEx cost uh, was more than halved. Was that right? Well, the CapEx come from probably 120 if you're going to build a plant and, and develop the mine uh, in its entirety at the mine. We, we have got a number of 50 which includes a modification to the Edna May Mill of about 35 of that 50. We're reviewing that number very closely at the moment. Obviously, we'd like to even reduce that further. And that currently assumes a a flotation and fine grind at the back of the Edna May Mill to account for the specific type of ore. But yeah, as you say, a significant reduction even without any further improvements, which we're hoping to achieve over the next sort of three months or so. Mm. Uh, So you guys... uh industry experts in trucking logistics? Um, I think we truck a bit further than others, and I think a few others are catching on to the idea of it. I, I look around the industry and I see a few processing facilities that are either on care and maintenance or the mill can't be filled, and you wonder, okay, well, maybe that wasn't the best decision to, to build that mill. So I think we're just trying to utilise existing assets. And in the Murchison, for example, there are a number of processing facilities, and if anything, it's a it's a fight for finding enough feed to keep those mills full. So I prefer to um, use the existing infrastructure and the use you know, use of capital is much more effective. I believe that way. Mm. Just as a is there a rule of thumb about trucking truckable distance with gold? Um, you know, a gram of gold's worth what now seventy. Um, what can you? What does it generally cost to say truck at a hundred k's? Yeah, a, a good rule of thumb if you've got access to decent sealed roads is is ten cents a ton kilometre. Um, so from Vivian, it's three hundred k's. It's thirty dollars a ton, and that equates to what 0.5 of a gram per ton. So if you're hauling a, a a seven gram underground in the case of Vivian, that 0.4 or five is not going to destroy the economics. Um, obviously, with gold price at the moment. Um, it's even more so than it was when we first justified that that project. Um, and in terms of trucking, I think the only other thing I'll say about that is that the types of trucks and the the fatigue management, um, the GPS tracking, 
you know, they have retina scanners, they have alarms that go off if people uh, are looking at their phones or threatening to go to mm-hmm. sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So the trucking industry itself's come a long way on that. And um, that's obviously helped, um, you know, our position. So we've piggybacked on what some of these contractors and their contractors um, who we do use uh, in that field. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you've got the two production centres and probably need a third to make that jump up to, I don't know, 250, 300 sustainably. People got a little bit excited uh, post the end of the September quarter with that $35 million debt facility you put in place, um, assuming that it was, in fact, uh, for asset acquisitions. Uh, What can you tell us about that? Were they on the right track? Yeah, very much so. Um, You look at the balance sheet with, you know, near on $100 in the bank and no debt. It's not an issue of, um, you know, needing money today, which is obviously a comfort to shareholders. It's really about having the facility such that, the hard work is done. These things take typically six months to get in place, unfortunately, with all the legal bits and pieces that have to go into them. And to have a facility that's undrawn at the moment but can be drawn for the right asset and be expanded for the right asset and also having multiple banks in there that give you the ability to scale up again for the right asset. And once you have a situation where the banks have already looked at your assets, are comfortable with them, then the due diligence they need to do is solely focused on the asset you're acquiring, which again, short circuits and, and enables you to do things in timeframes that suit a, a potential deal, if you like. Now, I guess uh, the analysts will talk about uh, risk being involved in M&A of any sort, uh, particularly when we've got near record Australian gold prices. What is it about Remulius? How do you go about mitigating that risk that, uh, I.e., that you're not paying too much? Um, that's, I suppose, always a risk, uh, but even we have to be uh, realistic about what we would have to pay, paying, you know, $10 million for a, for a Vivian project, which at the moment is going to return at least 100 in return. We need to recognise that was done at a $1,400 gold price with the sentiment thinking that gold price might be going mm-hmm. down. We're not going to get a deal like that now, but given, you know, our balance sheet, given our operational track record and our ability to to manage these assets, I think we need to understand that paying a little bit more for a good asset is always a better strategy than trying to get, let's say, a, a less, um, an inferior asset for a bargain. And I think if you're continually to go down that track, then eventually you're going to trip up. So we're happy to pay a bit more for a quality asset. It's, it's the timing and the opportunity and the competitiveness of it around those assets that you don't control, but you've got to be ready to go um, for when the opportunity arises. Mm. Okay, Mark, um, that's interesting. Now, obviously, uh, with $1,000 plus margins available in the Australian gold space at the moment, I think uh, just about everyone's looking for uh, gold assets near term, um, particularly if there's a a mill uh, processing uh, nearby. Uh, do you have you drawn up a shortlist yet, or is it uh, you're still on the search for something? Still on the search for something. It's fair to say, Barry. Um, you know, we have, like I imagine everybody else, looked at a lot of assets that don't pass muster. Um, you know, we got a, a, a track record of buying you know, since 2012. Anyway, buying assets that have made good returns for us, and we've got some slide, you know, a slide that sort of entered our presentations in recent times that shows that quite clearly. So. We'd obviously like to continue that trend, which means that you do have to pass over a lot of projects for one reason or another. 
you know, we back our technical team to starting with the resource, getting the resource right, you know, and, and I'm, I'm biased, I'm a mining engineer, but the reality is if you get the resource wrong, then it doesn't matter how good a mining engineer or metallurgist you are, you're generally, um, you know, you're fighting a losing battle there. So we back our in-house technical team in very strongly to get it right. We pass over a lot of stuff. Um, but it's fair to say you're always looking at, at something at any point in time, um, which is the same as the same case that we've got now. It's just um, we're not close to anything uh, that I can put my um, hand on and tell you about right now, but it's something that's an ongoing process. Mm. What's the, uh, the company's view on Greenfield exploration? Uh, we have a small amount that it's fair to say of our $20 million exploration budget that goes into Greenfields. At one stage when I first started, it was a much higher percentage of the total spend. It's, much, it's a much smaller amount. We recognise that putting money into the operations or near the operations and extending mine life is, is a better bang for your buck. But we do have some greenfield stuff in, in Nevada and have been over there for some time. Uh, the guys think that fills a niche in the market where you've got the majors who have got a lot of money, but um, we would fill that market with being a junior, if you like, with um, cash and money to spend, whereas there's, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, juniors in, the, in Nevada with no money. So we're trying to fill that gap where we can JV or earn into some projects and we haven't found a mine yet. The guys haven't given me a reason to jump on a plane and go and have a look at this wonderful new discovery, but we're always living in hope on that one. Okay, Mark. Now, just looking at near-term catalysts uh, outside of the possible M&A, of course, I was just wondering what uh, investors should be looking out for in, say, the next three to six months. Uh, first one would be first ore down the road from MARTA, uh, expected this quarter. It's uh, a process of upgrading the roads between... Marta and Edna May, and we'll, we'll see some more down there um, this quarter. And then in the new year, or by the end of the year, we are looking to make a investment decision or a decision to mine on Tampia. That's, um, we'll detail, you know, exact, more, more details around uh, the CapEx start dates, um, you know, any adjustments to the reserve size of the pits, et cetera, that we, we put out previously. So, and official decision to mine and, and when we think we would actually be mining at this stage, FY21. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is really the finalisation of the Greenfinch approvals, which I'm happy to say that we're, what, 90, 95% through that approval process. The, the, the state government has granted the permit. We've been through the 21-day advertising period. What we're largely looking to do now is get approval for an offset proposal, which is really about uh, revegetating farmland to offset the, the clearing that we uh, are required to do to mine the Greenfinch pit, which we've, we've minimised, we believe. So they're probably the, the three things that are coming up. Uh, and then they'll actually be, they'll culminate in an update in our life of, to our life of mine plan, mm-hmm. our million ounce mine plan sometime in the March quarter. Um, and that'll also include some things like um, Vivian, the additional year at Vivian, potentially some, a, a cutback at Eridanus, which we're, we're looking at quite closely at the moment, as well as um, you know, some more colour on Greenfinch and then finalisation of Tampia. So there's a few things all going to come together in that March quarter with an update to that mine plan. Mm. Now, I joked earlier on that uh, with the $800 million market cap, with uh, what needed to be done to get to a billion, do you think what you've outlined there alone will be enough or will there be a requirement for some M&A along the way? 
I think we've got to where we where we are today by a combination of M and A and exploration. I think what the market's looking for is a consolidation that you know, our five year plan largely is a is a reproducible rolling five year plan. If we can add a year or or two um, onto that, and that will give people even more confidence. And I I think you do see a large gap between the valuation um, that we're sitting at at say five years at two two hundred and fifty thousand ounces. As to where some of our larger peers are, there's quite you know there's multi-billion-dollar gaps in some cases. So I still think there's plenty of room to move on our share price on that basis, um, on the back of a, a, an upgraded mine. Mm. And finally, I'll just ask. Uh, I noticed the policy around dividend. Um, I think it was uh, one cent if uh, there was five years uh, mine life ahead of you and. There were some other um, criteria there. I was just broad, more broadly, though, do you consider paying a dividend is a, an important thing for gold producers to be doing? Um, yes, and, and we have. Uh, we paid, a, it's on our maiden dividend. The company did pay a couple of special dividends way back in the, the heyday of Waddle Dam, but let's argue that, well, let's assume that it's a maiden dividend. We paid the one cent in October. And I suppose what you're finding now, more days, more nowadays, sorry, is that you have to be all things to all people. You have to give them share price growth, but you also have to give them yield. You can no longer say, "Look, you want yield, go and buy bank mm-hmm. shares." Unfortunately, mm-hmm. so we're trying to provide, you know, that option for retail holders. Happy to say that we've started that process, and we'd like to think that we've started at a a low but sustainable point that we could back that up year after year and even look to grow the amount that we're paying um, based on you know, our cash flow model going mm. forward. And absolute final question, what is your view on the gold price? Is it uh, at a level that worries you uh, that it might come back or is it? Uh, do you see the potential for it to go higher? What's your gut feel on it? Um, I don't spend much time worrying about what way I think it's going to go. I just don't I, – I recognise – um, and I think most gold players in Australia should recognise that it's a very good price. You know, we were thinking that 1800 1900 was a good price too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our, our hedge book reflects that. It's not so long ago we were using 1600 1650 as our budget prices. So um, very happy where it is, but don't take it for granted. Try to build a business that can take, you know, some some weakness if um, US and China do a trade deal, then you can expect a bit of weakness in the price. But we are coming off very high levels and you know most miners um, should have very good margins at current gold prices. Yeah, that's some good advice there to finish up with. Okay, Mark, well, thanks for your time today. An exciting story you've outlined for us there. So all the best with it and we'll uh, watch with interest as things unfold. Yeah, thanks very much, Barry. It's been fun chatting. Cheers.